0: How did you think of that? With Temple Grandin.
1: And I'm Sherry Quinn. Joining us is wildlife artist and naturalist, Carl Peter Brest van Kempen. Carl, a friend of mine, grew up in Utah exploring nature. He is an internationally recognized wildlife artist and has won numerous awards of excellence. He depicts seldom illustrated species in extremely detailed works that tell a story resulting in a stunning visual feast for the eyes Imagination and Mind. He is the author and illustrator of Rigor Vitae, Life Unyielding, and illustrator of many other books, including Biology of Gila Monsters and Dinosaurs of Utah.
2: Hi, Dr. Grandin.
0: Nice to meet you. Oh, it's good to meet you.
1: In this episode, Carl and Temple blend art, science, ecology, and education in a meeting of similar minds that takes us not only on an eye-opening journey into the inner workings of how they think. But how their insights and talents contribute to our societal systems in practical and beautiful ways?
2: I grew up near Salt Lake City in the mountains outside of Salt Lake City. Okay. Uh, so in a rural, rural setting, and uh, it was a great place to grow up for a, yeah. a kid that that loved nature and yeah. plenty of opportunity to explore as much as as much as I wanted. So I had my my curiosity with the natural world sated growing up and and went to school to study biology and with the idea of being a a field biologist and I always loved to draw but I never thought I'd be good enough to be able to make a living at it and then I started to get pretty good at it and I thought well maybe maybe it'd be worth trying to make a shot you know try to be an artist and so I did and and then I never stopped trying (laughs) I'm still trying. 30, Thirty-five years later.
1: Before focusing solely on art, Carl was a falconer for 20 years, from his teens into his 30s.
2: And that was a Im- very important part of my uh, kind of making me, forming my really philosophy of life, philosophy of of viewing the natural world, developing really close relationships with with wild animals. The way I define falconry is it's it's uh, convincing a a wild bird to take you on as as their assistant but it's it's a privilege a few people get I think to really develop close uh, relationships that close with a wild animal
0: yes what made you stop doing falconry
2: well when I decided to try to make it as an artist oh okay doing a lot of different things uh well several different things semi-well and and I thought you know, falconry is a huge responsibility. Yeah. Uh, have to take them out every day and fly them. Yeah. And so uh I decided if I was going to try and make it as an artist, I was gonna okay. have
0: it was just too time consuming. Uh,
2: and and also it's it's become so uh it's gotten to the point. It used to be here in Salt Lake, in the Salt Lake Valley, there were places uh there were agricultural areas where you could go fly a bird every day. There's nowhere in, anymore. You have to drive a Uh, All my friends in Salt Lake who are still flying falcons, they drive, you know, 70, 80 miles a day to to go fly them.
0: Yeah, because there's no place.
1: Like Temple, Carl is also interested in animal behavior. He often takes hikes and camping trips in the western deserts, the mountains surrounding Salt Lake City, and other areas, including urban settings, to observe wildlife.
2: Very interested in ecology and how... How the natural world works, how the how that whole system works, and how how the way animals behave, how the way they're built, how they're formed, how that's impacted, and how it does impact the way they all interact with one another uh, with their environment, and that's kind of that, those are the themes really that I like to work with
1: aside from his works of art, Carl is currently working on another book, A Field Guide to the Birds of Utah
2: usually when they make field guides they make them for bigger areas than you know like yes. west western north america I and know. it's really nice to be able to do it just a small area like utah because it's got a, I, i've got about a third as many species yeah. to deal with so i can put a lot more detail into it yes yeah. and talk a lot more about uh, the, about the behavior and the ecology of of each species and depict all of their plumages and stuff. So that's that's what I'm working on. It's a huge project. That's
0: well that's a big project.
2: Yeah, it is. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, but it's fun, and I'm learning so much. I'm involves a lot of research. So
0: well, that's just great. And I think
2: it's a it's a it's a worthwhile thing to do too, because uh, it's it'll be a valuable tool. I think to help people. Uh, appreciate and and understand better the natural world better yeah one thing that i just uh, learned that i never knew you know sandpipers the little birds that run around on shores and rivers and lakes and stuff there are a million different kinds but one of them that we uh have here the solitary sandpiper it nests in uh, trees in old robins nests up in a, in all, all the other sandpipe all the other american sandpipers i think all of them Nest on the ground for years. They uh, nobody had ever found a nest of them because they were looking on the uh, ornithologists were looking on the ground for them. It wasn't until the bird had been known for like a 150 years before someone discovered a nest 40 feet up in a tree in a rob an old robin's nest.
0: Well, I do uh, designing, but it's uh, more engineering type of drawings. Some of my drawings from a book, thinking and pictures. And when I was a kid, my parent, my mother always encouraged my drawing and I've been working a lot to improve the welfare of farm animals in just practical ways. Right, right. A lot of people talk about a lot of theory, but there's a point where you've got to get down and and be practical. And my former student, Dennis Wilson, I just had lunch with him today. He's an auditor now for a third-party auditing company and he inspects beef plants, chickens and not saying... That everything's perfect but compared to 25 years ago it's a lot better
2: well good, good.
0: about some of the stuff that i worked on early on working with uh, starting mcdonald's on their audit program back in the late 90s and you had broken equipment just all over everywhere is that right and you don't have that today same way we had it in the past
2: well that's great yeah you've been you've been very important in those making those changes happen
0: Well, the thing I've found is getting big customers behind it, but we've got to have things that are practical. There's a lot of things where there's a lot of theory, but how do you do it? And I really like scoring things. How many lame cattle have you got? How many skinny ones have you got? Dirty chickens you've got. Lame chickens. Those are things that you can very easily score. Uh And then you can determine, am I getting better on this or am I getting worse? Because you're putting numbers on it. Right. I'm not, I bet you you're not very good at algebra and math. I'm not. You're not. This That's is the pattern.
2: Always a struggle for me.
0: This is the pattern I've seen because a lot of people I've worked with that were inventing mechanically complex equipment also couldn't do algebra, but they might have 20 patents on mechanical devices that were selling all around the world. Huh? And I'm getting very concerned that my kind of thinker is because I can't do higher math is getting screened out. And you need us to do things like, yeah, keep the electric grid running.
2: Yeah, yeah. the The, the diversity of ways of thinking that society great. is so is is strength, and that's a problem with the education system.
0: Well, this is the thing I'm getting very concerned about.
2: Because any any educational system you have, it's going to be perfect for some people. That's right. And it's going to be a, a disaster for other people. It, and if it's all the same. I think what an educational system has to do, it's got to it's got to be able to figure out which kids are need what kind of a system.
0: Well, this is the problem because it's getting more and more verbal. I just got back giving a talk at Genetech. It's the big companies making cutting edge breast cancer drugs. And I said, you need people like me that can't do higher math. We have a replication problem right now in biomedical science. And a lot of this gets back down to the methods, like which stirring device you use for your cancer cells. It can change the results. And I go in these gorgeous labs, and there are a lot of different stirring devices in there. Little baby centrifuge, great big centrifuge. It matters which one you use. It can change the results. And they're relegating the method section to the appendix now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen a lot of that.
1: Temple trust designs that solve problems. And Carl to create a work of art. They both explain their process.
0: Well, what I start with is a very faint outline of the layout because a lot of my work's on architecture and I've got to figure out how to lay it out. And the first thing I have to do is draw in the site restrictions. If it's new construction, I may not have site restrictions. I can just make whatever I want. But in a lot of places, I got roads, wells, electrical equipment, a house, things I have to. I can't move.
2: Well, my work almost always starts with a, with an idea and, and a situation, you know, like a story. And then I do a lot of little sketches to kind of work out all the characters and then refine those and refine those. And that's kind of it starts out with it, with, with, with an idea, very rarely with something I've seen or with some mainly just it's kind of a way of uh, seeing for myself things that I want to see.
0: Well, I'm just looking at your book right now. It's absolutely beautiful. And uh, obviously, in order for you to make some of these pictures, you're pulling pictures of different animals and I see insects in here and snakes and, other, and many other things. You have to have these in your memory or you wouldn't know how to draw them.
2: Well, I've been doing it since I was a.
0: Well, that's, but that's the thing. You have a, a visual thinker as a bottom up thinker. Uh huh. And I found that the more pictures I could download into my memory, the better I got. Right. Because you have to have seen a snake, let's say, or or a caterpillar or some other animal, you get any idea of how to draw it halfway realistically.
2: And then and then drawing is a, it helps with that a lot too, just by that discipline, by undergoing it, putting more things in those files, more information into those files, those visual files.
0: That's right. Like I mean, I draw steel and concrete stuff. I mean, I've got to know what that looks like. Uh-huh. I couldn't even draw it accurately. And one of the things I'm seeing in, in, in engineering drawings today, now that everybody's doing CAD, I'm seeing a lot of 3D drawings that are drawn wrong. I'm also seeing detail left out. I had a job three years ago that's recent, big concrete steel project, cattle stockyards. And they had drawn in one piece of the steel rods, all those reinforcing rods. They did not draw in the placement for the reinforcement rods. Big fancy engineering firm, I penciled them in and I said, send that back to that big engineering firm and have them draw in the placement of the rods correctly. Yeah. It matters. It's detail and it matters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> similarities, but there's also very much differences in what we do, but there's also some similarities.
2: Yeah. It occurred to me that various kinds of thinking, I see the same thing in uh, ecosystems, you know, and, and and you have the same diversity of, of mental approaches yeah. between different different animals in a system and same way it works in a society or in a company or in a country or whatever especially when something goes wrong when there's a problem that's especially when that diversity is important to have that different ways of of looking at things and and tackling problems really in all ways i think our societies are in 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 a lot of ways our societies are uh Kind of a, a microcosm of of the global ecosystem you know they really work under the same principles and diverse approaches is
0: no is, we need diverse uh, approaches because what i've been noticing in science and i review a lot of journal articles is um all this emphasis on fancy math statistics but then they're leaving out what you fed your animals how you housed them it matters and it can totally change the results. And you're talking about, like, when I went out to Genentech, they were saying, oh, well, they they, uh, word counts restricted so much. I have found that in most cases, to fix the method section, you're talking anywhere from one to five sentences. But it's a very important one to five sentences. Sometimes on some, what you fed an animal or how you housed it. And oh. it matters a whole lot, especially in a behavior experiment. I gave a talk this morning, uh, people in the Beef people in the UK, just this basic cattle handling. I'm, I still have to work on that. You still have to remind people. Don't yell at them. Small groups still have to remind people about basics. You've got new people coming in all the time.
2: What's the uh, international situation like with slaughterhouses?
0: Well, actually, European Europe stuff's really quite good. And uh, see, I've been in this business now for 50 years. Yeah. And I remember going to Denmark in the late 70s and in the early 80s. And those countries, there were really quite good. And there's other places where things were just terrible. And one of the things that's really pushed making changes when big customers make standards. So we've got to get reasonable standards that people can actually do. It's amazing what, like for cattle handling, or some non-slip flooring will do. Just amazing in terms of the cattle behavior. Now, I'm not going to say things are perfect. They're not. And I was just talking to Dennis. So we had lunch today. And he was, we were talking about, about auditing the chicken plants. Well, when I first started out, you had broken cages, you had birds out on the highway. This would have been back in the late nineties. And he said, I find one bird on the highway that's failed audit. You see, because they're making them fix equipment.
2: Oh, good. Yeah. I've, I, I remember back in the nineties, I saw some some horrible poultry operations.
0: Oh, there were some bad stuff. The other thing I'm interested in is genetic selection for animals. We select animals to grow very fast. And I like to say genetics is like a national budget. I've got the economy, the infrastructure, and the military. If I put everything into the economy, because everything takes energy, meat, milk, or eggs, I might shortchange infrastructure. That's going to be skeleton, bone, heart, reproduction. Also, I might shortchange my military. That's the ability to fight off disease. Everything takes energy. Well, I think we may have to breed some strength back in, but it's kind of scary. This avian influenza is killing wild birds now in South America. I just read that just the other day.
2: And in the United States, too.
0: Well, all, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And and then I just got went to veterinary conference, big, huge veterinary conference in Orlando, Florida. And cats and dogs were getting these horrid fungal infections up their noses that were just hideous. From hmm. stuff that normally wouldn't cause a problem before.
2: From, from fungi that that are normally innocuous?
0: You no, know, used to be normal stuff in the environment. I'm not talking about some exotic breed of cat at all. I'm talking about plain old tabby cat. Uh-huh. A ordinary tabby cat. The swollen no- nose right here is all full of fungus underneath this.
2: <laughs> and, and a common fungus that's normally innocuous? Is that Usually
0: true? something, yeah, normally innocuous. And now these pets are getting that. And uh, these are normal dogs, normal noses, no bulldogs, nothing like that.
2: Did they have any ideas about what's going on? Well, they
0: didn't. They mainly emphasized how to treat it. I'm looking at, ick, why is this happening? Yeah, yeah. This is really nasty and really weird. And uh, why are just a mongrel dog and just a plain old tabby cat getting these things? These are not exotic animals. They're not hybrid poodles or something like that. Is regular ordinary cat this hideous fungal infection? There's just a lot of thing a lot of things going on. After I got my vaccines for COVID, I go time to get back out. And I got to think maybe some of these pets are living too clean. Who knows? It's time to get back out.
1: With Carl's research on the natural world for his paintings and books, he has been seeing changes in nature and animal behavior a lot, he says.
2: I'm seeing changes every year. So I've lived in this area all my life and uh, I've been watching the natural world uh, since I was a little kid. I'm to the age now where I'm starting to get a sense of history, you know, and seeing, you know, because I've uh, seen a lot of trends and and a lot of it is, you know, we've changed a lot of habitat. Humans have changed a lot of habitat, and a lot of animals have learned how to adapt to that. And a lot other, a lot of others have have failed to uh, learn how to adapt to it. And so that's kind of been the biggest driver, I think, of of change is figuring out new ways to thrive, and other things failing to figure out how to thrive in the new.
0: Well, uh, pigeons certainly have learned how to thrive. They. Um, inhabit the roof at the denver airport and snow was coming off the roof and there's this one door i go out that go down the parking lot and there was pigeon dew in this puddle Ugh, heck. can't <coughs> get out of this can't get out to the parking lot stepping in a pigeon dew on animals can be very adaptable was reading a thing with wolves at one place they run out of elk and deer and they were eating otters they would learned to go after a new food source
2: especially like like mammalian predators all all of them pretty much are a lot of their behavior is learned
0: so they're
2: they're really good at changing things because a lot of what they do is learned whereas a lot of their prey deer and stuff their behavior is a lot lot less of that is learned so
0: deer are very vigilant they're an animal that's and cattle are the same way they they're very sensitive to little changes in the environment, like a shadow on the ground, they uh, a coat on a fence, seeing some motion, a reflection on something. Little things that we tend to not notice, the animals will notice.
1: That was artist Carl Peter Breast van Kempen speaking with Temple Grandin.
2: Well, have a good evening and thanks again for your time. And uh, it's been a real pleasure.
0: Okay, great. I'm going to leave the meeting and thank you for having me.
1: How'd You Think of That is a production of the Utah STEM Action Center in partnership with SQ Productions.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grants number 1745674.